Good morning. My name is Whitley Bechtel, and I have the privilege of reading our scripture for this morning. It comes from Acts 9, 1 through 19. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. Well, good morning. It's good to be together. Uh, I want to pray to launch us into our time together next Nine, Lord, we bow before you this morning together. We acknowledge your presence here in this room right now. And we also ask that you would come and uh, watch over your word as it's spoken and preached, that you would um, pierce our hearts with it, that you would lift up our heads, that we might see you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we all love stories. Part of it is to be human is to love stories. And in every story, well, in most stories, there is a moment of tension. Everything is going along as it ought to go along. And sometimes catastrophe hits. Sudden tragedy comes and changes the story from one of life and love to one of discouragement, difficulty, Suffering, despair even. And maybe you have experienced that in your story. Maybe you are experiencing that in your story. We ask the question, can we recover from this? Do we have hope for future good? And we might consider that this is what the church in Acts, as we approach Acts 9, was experiencing. 
And yet in the best stories, something happens suddenly that changes everything for good. And J.R.R. Tolkien coined the term eucatastrophe. Catastrophe being a sudden tragedy that changes everything. Eucatastrophe being a sudden movement of good that brings about hope that they're going to be all right, and that good things are going to come in the future, and that victory is on the horizon. And that's what we are going to see in the story about Saul's conversion. And yet this story is primarily not a story about Saul. It is primarily a story about Jesus. It's a story about what happens when Jesus meets you on the road. Everything changes. We're going to see Jesus doing three things in this story. Jesus pursues, Jesus offends, and Jesus changes everything. After presiding over the stoning of Stephen, earlier, a few chapters before Acts 9, Saul begins what Luke terms as a ravaging of the church. He's breathing out threats and murder. He's methodical as he goes house to house to house, dragging off Christians to be imprisoned. He's persecuting the church. He's bent on destroying the church. And for those of us who, most of us actually, who haven't experienced this kind of persecution, maybe could consider what it would be like for a leader of ISIS to be roaming through Harrisburg, going from church to church and house to house, dragging out Christians, breathing these kinds of threats and murder, fear, discouragement, difficulty, maybe even despair would would rise up within us. And this is what is going on in, in the church in this story. Saul was severe in his persecution. And yet he says, Luke talks about in the early church as, as he's going on his way. He went on his way. Saul was not searching for, he wasn't seeking spiritual things. He wasn't like a skeptic wanting to dialogue about theology, debate about theology. He didn't want to talk. He wanted to devour the church, and the people of God. And a light suddenly pushes him to the ground. This sudden, bright, blinding light comes upon him. And rather than considering this bright and sunny day, which is very bright, I've already experienced that. I experienced that preaching earlier. It's more like a lightning bolt that lasts, that stuns you into submission. And yet this light was not just some purely ethereal light, disembodied light. This light had a voice. This was the light of the world, the living Christ who came to Saul. While Saul ravaged with hate, Jesus pursued with love. And pursuit presumes desire and decision. Jesus wanted Paul. Jesus chose Paul. And Paul later on in Galatians 1 testifies this very same thing. He says that Jesus set him apart before he was born. He called him by his grace. He was pleased to reveal himself 
to him. Jesus knew what Saul would become, and still he set him apart. And he did so because he had a purpose for Saul. He had a job for Saul to do. Even more astoundingly, this movement of Jesus was a delight to him. It pleased him to pursue Saul. Yet Jesus doesn't just pursue Saul, Jesus offends. Jesus' gracious pursuit may have been a pleasure to him, but it wasn't placid or soft, it was severe. Jesus knocked Saul on his back. He comes against Saul. He cries out, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why? What are you doing? And yet this question is not quiet curiosity. It's indignant love. He's angry, Jesus, and he opposes Saul. But his anger is not an anger that seeks to destroy Saul. It's an anger that seeks to see him redeemed. It's righteous altogether. Then Saul asks maybe the most important question anyone can ask in their entire life. Who are you, Lord? Jesus has Saul's undivided attention. And Jesus responds, I am Jesus. After declaring Saul's name, he declares his own. And in declaring his name, he's communicating to Saul that he's alive and that he's Lord. Even more, he's declaring, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He's telling Saul, in your persecution of the church, you're you're persecuting me. And these words are significant and they can't be overstated. They reveal Jesus's intimate solidarity with his people. Consider what it would be like for somebody to to hit your arm, to wound you in some way. You wouldn't just say, well, you just hurt my arm. They hurt you. They wounded you. So it is with Jesus, with his church. To wound his people is to wound him. And yet Jesus doesn't retaliate with vengeance against Saul. He he pursues him with a strong grace that both slays him and saves him. And then in a very straightforward manner, he commands Saul, rise, enter the city, and you will be told what to do. And Saul obeys In a matter of moments, Jesus has conquered his enemy. He's made Saul broken, brought him into submission like a wild horse is broken into obedience. And like Jacob, who left his encounter with the living God with a bruised hip, with a limp, Saul walks away from his encounter with Jesus blind and so Helpless that he needs to be led by the hand. He was humbled. Jesus comes against Saul. He also comes against the sensibilities of the church. Ananias responds with Jesus telling him what to do with apprehension, with concern, with question, with doubt. Saul? Really? I've heard about this guy, and this guy's not a good guy. He's he's against the church, really? And yet Jesus was 
very intentional about welcoming Ananias into Saul's redemption. To be welcomed into Christ is to be welcomed into his body. Just as Christ is one with his people in their persecution, we are also called to unity with him in his mercy. Ananias is challenged here. Jesus didn't want to just show Saul grace on the road directly from his very face. He also wanted Saul to experience grace at the voice and hands of his people. Jesus pursues, Jesus offends, and Jesus changes everything. Consider the first words that Saul hears after this encounter are brother Saul. In a single moment, Saul has been transformed from an enemy into a brother. Saul became Paul. His identity was transformed, and he's welcomed into the redeemed family of God. And as a brother, he's also a son. Saul became a son, filled with the spirit of adoption, through whom he could now cry out, Abba, Father. His blind eyes were opened. Scales fall off his eyes. The God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in his heart to give him the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Saul saw Jesus' face and was changed forever. But this wasn't just a private, personal, internal reality. This was external. His mission changed. Jesus declares to Ananias that Saul was his chosen instrument to carry his name to the Gentiles, to the kings, to the children of Israel. Saul went from breathing murder to boldly breathing the gospel of grace. He who was the most exclusive insider became the most outspoken outcast for the radical inclusivity of the gospel to the Gentiles. Jesus transforms him from a wolf who was seeking to devour the sheep to a shepherd who would lead and serve and even suffer for the sheep. Mercy melted a hateful heart of stone. And maybe the most astounding aspect of Saul's transformation is the the transformation of his very sin. His sin became fuel for his ministries in submission to the grace of God. His sin wasn't just forgiven and forgotten and denied. Rather, it was remembered, redeemed, and repurposed for God's glory. Sin exposed by the light becomes light. That's what Paul testifies to in Ephesians. And the very thing happened with Saul. Sin is transformed from an agent of shame, condemnation, separation, and death into an agent radiating the glory of God's grace to redeem it. We have a dear friend uh, that's currently in New Hampshire serving at his mansion, our uh, former ministry, her name's Janessa, and she, I asked her to write a little bit about her story, which is very similar to Saul's in a lot of ways, and shows exactly what we see in this passage. And she says this, I'd been living a life ruled by the enemy, from drug addiction to abusive relationships and other forms of sin that led to shame, 
Then I met Jesus. I saw his face, and when he shined his light on all those dark, hidden, hardened parts of my soul, he exposed them for what they really were. He didn't just leave me naked and ashamed. All that I experienced, all the pain I endured, all of it he is using for his glory. All that was meant for evil, he is using for good. I am not who I once was. And now I am able to walk alongside many women who have come out of similar situations to my own and speak of the hope, the redemption, the power in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, our true deliverer. I'm able to fight when they can't, speak the truth when they speak the truth when they are believing lies. And I hope be a living example of Christ's relentless, fierce, life-changing love. That is the transforming power of the gospel. Jesus can turn evil into his slave, and he does so on the cross. He transforms the violent hatred that the Jews had toward him, receives it, suffers death, and transforms it through his triumph over it into the greatest symbol of his grace to his church. That's how he operates. And in this redemptive story in Acts, we see Jesus communicating to the church through this activity that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This conversion of Saul catapulted the early church into its next chapter. Spreading the gospel of grace, the church, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It does this for it displays that Christ is able to spread his church without hindrance because he's able to make a hindrance into a help. He can do anything. So what do we glean from this passage? What, what are we receiving from Jesus this morning? And I think he's calling us, I think he calls us to three things out of this passage. He calls us to look, he calls us to love, and he calls us to hope. This story is primarily a call to look at Jesus Christ. It is not a prescriptive story about conversion that we should take and, and uh, try and replicate somehow or feel guilty about the fact that we didn't experience it. I didn't experience a Damascus Road conversion, and maybe you haven't. That's not the point. The point is that we would see Jesus. This is not a prescriptive story. It is a descriptive story of the power of the risen Jesus when he comes and meets you on the road. This is our Christ. He welcomes the sinner. He raises dead hearts. He heals blind eyes with the very light of his face. And Jesus is alive today, June 28th, 2020. He is not out of control. He knows what is happening. The earth is his footstool. Minneapolis is his footstool. Washington, D.C. is under his feet. There's nothing outside of his capacity to redeem, to use, to transform. Nothing in you is outside of his ability to redeem. And now, more than ever, we need to be seeing our world, experiencing our world, engaging with our world through the lens of our living and reigning Jesus. As Christians, 
Our primary allegiance and concern is not the propagation of a political party, a social movement, or human ideology. To follow Jesus means that our primary concern in our world, our society, our nation, is the fame of the risen and reigning Jesus, the spread of his church and the grace of his gospel. And it is through that transforming power of the gospel in human hearts that brings the the shalom of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And it comes via his call to love. This is an encouraging passage. It's also a challenging one. It it challenges us to look at Christ. It also challenges us to look at the world around us, the people around us, to pay attention, to engage. Looking at Jesus does not lead to passive complacency with the status quo, but joyful activity in love. Jesus compels us to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. If we want to see racial reconciliation in our society, if we want to see a stop to chaos, it's the love of Jesus through his church and the preaching of his gospel that changes anything. The love of Christ controls us, Paul says, and it's radical and uncomfortable. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That is the call of Jesus, and that is the way that the radical church and the radical gospel will spread through our nation, through our world, and bring the kingdom of God. So consider, who is your Saul? Who is the person that you can't fathom Christ drawing near to? I guarantee for every one of us, there is someone that's in that category. Who is it that that would challenge your understanding of mercy and who should get it? Who, Who would walk in these doors and would make you uncomfortable that they're in this church having encountered Jesus? That is the person that we need to move toward. That is the person that we need to pray for. That is the person that we need to rejoice in the gospel over. For to believe in the gospel for you is to believe in the gospel for anyone. It's a call to look, a call to love. It's a call to hope. John, in the first chapter of his gospel, writes, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And we know that on this side of the resurrection, not only does the light shine in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it, we know that the darkness will not overcome it. Things are dark right now. We turn on the news, no matter what news station you look at, there's chaos, darkness, death, fear-inducing events happening, concerns, violence. And we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what the future is going to hold. Lord willing, it gets better. It might get worse. Regardless, the dawn will always come No matter how dark the night gets, the dawn will come in Jesus Christ. And I tell Jamie sometimes when things get difficult, when we're discouraged, when we're anxious about the future, whether good things won't happen or bad things will happen, I tell her we're going to be okay. 
we're going to be all right. Why? Not because our circumstances are going to change. Not because good things are promised to us in the future. Not because we know that bad things aren't going to happen. Because we know that we are in the hands of our ever-present living Jesus who is one with us and feels everything that we're experiencing, sees every chaotic thing that we're seeing, and is able to do something about it. We are dear to him, and he is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. We see that in his conversion of Saul. And if he can convert Saul, then he can do anything. And if he can do anything, and we are dear to him, then we have a hope of steel that cannot be taken away from us, no matter how dark it gets. Our hope is not in a human ideology. Our hope is not in that which man can produce. Our hope is in the living and reigning Jesus Christ today, who is for you and who will spread his church and bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would be lifted high in Harrisburg. We pray that you would be lifted high here in our midst, in our community, that the fame of your name would bring upon our nation, our world, the mercy of Jesus, the transforming power of your grace and your presence, and your light. In Jesus' name, amen.